A uh, couple things real quick. I just want to I want to say a big thank you uh, to everybody who helped serve with Week of Hope this last week. And, uh, you know, what we're about as a church, and I said this last week, and I want to say it again this week, what we are about, our, our, our guiding values as a church is, number one, that everyone matters. And what we mean by that is we believe that every person in our community, we believe that everybody in our community matters. I, I, we, we believe that as long as there's one person in our community who needs the hope of Jesus Christ, we're going to do everything we can to reach out to that person. We're going to love that person. We're going to serve that person. And we're going to point that person uh, to the person of Christ. And so we believe that everyone matters. Secondly, community focus. That we focus on, on serving our community to build bridges for the gospel. That, that, and, and that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been doing. I really appreciate all your, your work there. Uh, third, that, that relationally warm is that what we want to do is we want to create safe places for people to connect and grow. Because the truth is, is all of us need connection. We do. All of us need connection. All of us need safe people in our lives uh, who can help us to, to grow in our walk with Jesus. Uh, that fourth, that we are Scripture lived. That, that we don't want to just learn Scripture to know Scripture, but we want to learn Scripture to live Scripture. And, and so we, we value that. And then finally, Next step, discipleship, is that we want to be a people who are eager to take the next step in following Jesus. Uh, by the way, today I want to invite you, uh, if you're not currently in a Bible study, we're starting a brand new Bible study today immediately after church. And uh, it's, it's a, a Bible study that talks about what does it mean to follow Jesus. And, and Rich and Carol Friedrich have agreed to lead that, so they'll be meeting here we'll, in the, the back room that we call the living room or the cry room. Uh, uh, the cry, well, anyway. Uh, the living room or the cry room, and, uh, and, and so that's going to be immediately after church, so I want to let you know about that. Uh, but, but as your pastor, just what I want to tell you is that uh, on Thursday night after we did our Celebration of Hope barbecue and concert, when we went home, I just told Joy, I said, Joy, you know, that, that what I find joy in as a pastor is seeing uh, how dozens of you gave so generously of your time to love and serve people in our community, the people that Jesus loves. That, that you know, I, I love it when I show up here at church in the middle of the week and I see people who are getting ready to go out uh, to, to just serve in different ways. It, it's, it, for me, that is one of, that, that for me is just something that just kind of, it picks me up, it encourages me. And so uh, I, I just, I really appreciate all that you guys did. So I, I want to thank you for that. Uh, we're doing a series right now in the book of Philippians. And uh, on Philippians, what we've been talking about is the message of Philippians. Sometimes we'll work through a book of the Bible. And I say we, pastors, we like to, when we're preaching, teaching, sometimes we'll focus uh, so much on verses that sometimes we, we, we miss the message of the book as a whole. And, and the message of the book of Philippians is this, is that there is joy in the gospel. There's joy in the gospel. That, that in the book of Philippians, there's only 104 verses, but 11 different times, more than any other part of Scripture, the gospel is talked about again and again and again, 11 different times. And, and, and that, that as you work and read through the, the book of Philippians, you see words like, like joy and gladness and rejoice over and over again. That, that uh, 16 different times. And, and so we've been saying that the message of Philippians is there's joy in the gospel. And the gospel, the gospel is, is it's, the, well, our word gospel literally means good news. It, it means good news. And, and the good news of the gospel is this. It's, it's the story of the Bible. Is that, that God made all things good. 
He made all things good, but then sin entered God's good creation. And when sin entered creation, so did suffering, pain, and death. And all of us have been touched by that, haven't we? Yeah, we've all been touched by that. And, and, and it's, it's really neat as you read through the, 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 the Bible. The Bible's not just a collection of stories, but it is one story. It is God's story. And it's your story, my story. It's the story of how God uh, loved us so much that he wanted to redeem us. He wanted to bring us back in right relationship with him. And it's really cool, the last two chap, chapters of the Bible. It, you know, the first two chapters, everything's good. We have some people celebrating that right now. <laughs> that, 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 that all things are good in those first two chapters. Well, in those last two chapters, it's going to be good again. It's going to be good again. And, uh, and, and so uh, the story of the gospel is the story of how God is redeeming his creation. We're going to be looking uh, this morning in the book of Philippians. And, and the book of Philippians was written for a number of reasons. Uh, it, was written, uh, it was written as a, a thank you letter in part because uh, Paul had received uh, some special provisions from the church in Philippi and from the churches in Macedonia. It's also written uh, to give uh, some edification and, and instruction about, uh, about uh, our spiritual leaders, Epaphroditus, Timothy, uh, Epaphroditus, who probably brought the letter uh, to the Philippians, Timothy, who would be coming to the Philippians or to Philippi shortly, uh, and, and it was also written in part because there were some problems with doctrine, doctrinal issues. It addresses that in chapter three, but it was also written to address problems in the church of unity. That that it's not uncommon. It wasn't uncommon in churches then, and it's not uncommon in churches today for us to sometimes struggle with unity. That sometimes in the church there can be conflict. There can be things like conflict. There can be things where, where we have different ways of thinking and seeing things. And out of that, sometimes we don't always have the kind of unity that God wants for us. And so um, in, in chapter 4, uh, Paul addresses a couple of women, uh, one who's named Euodia, one who's named Syntica. And he says to them, hey, find a way for you guys, find a way to live in harmony with one another. And, and, and also in chapter 2, and we've been talking about this, is that he, he instructs them, that he tells them, he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, why does he tell them that? It's because sometimes it's hard for us to be one in our thinking, to be one in our affections, to be one in spirit, to be one in purpose. And so he's, he's addressing them about the unity that, that he wants them to have, a unity that would bring joy to them. And he goes on to say, to, he says, do this. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Why? Because sometimes we're selfish and sometimes we're conceited. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important. Other people's concerns as more important than your own. And so he goes on to talk about the importance of unity. There's a church, and we'll just call this church, we'll call it Brotherly Love Community Church. Isn't that a great name? Brotherly Love Community Church. And Brotherly Love Community Church is, has been having a little trouble with their unity. Okay? They've been having a little conflict for a short time. And when I say a short time, I mean the last 30 years, okay? 
they've been having a little trouble. There's been a little bit of conflict here and there. And there's Mrs. White and Mrs. Green. You know, they both serve very, very faithfully in brotherly love. They do. They serve very faithfully. But everybody knows that, that Mrs. White and Mrs. Green can't stand each other. And in the church, you got a Mrs. White group and you got a Mrs. Green group. And, and those two groups, they don't, they don't really interact with each other. Uh, that's not the only conflict that they have at Brotherly Love. They, they, they have, uh, there's some conflict about worship styles. There's conflict about worship styles, about the best way to worship and the best kind of music to use in worship. And this, wor- this, this conflict's been going on for about 25 years since they started their new contemporary service their contemporary worship service. And, and actually, they're even having a little conflict in the contemporary worship service because there are some people who feel like it's not really that contemporary. It's about 10, 15 years behind the times. And, and also, since we're talking about contemporary worship and the conflict there, there are some people who believe that music is way too loud. And there are other people who say, hey, man, it's not loud enough. If it's too loud, you're too old. Oh, they, they, they have other conflict, too. They have conflict. There are some people who say, you know what? We spend way too much money on children's ministries and student ministries. We're spending way too much money on that. And there's another group who are saying, uh-uh, no way. We're no, we are not spending anywhere close to enough money that we need to spend on things like children's ministries and student ministries. Oh, they got conflict of brotherly love. There's even conflict there that you have some people who they just love. They love Pastor Smith. He has been faithfully preaching the word for over 30 years now. But there are other people they just really love Pastor Jason. Pastor Jason's been, he's been helping to, to share the pastoral load and the preaching over the last three years. And so you've got groups who, who some who are of Pastor Smith, and some who are of, what was the other pastor's name? Jason. <laughs> Pastor Jason. <laughs> I know this church well, okay? <laughs> uh, you got to get your name straight when you're telling. So, um, but they, they have a little bit of conflict. You know why churches like Brotherly Love have conflict? They have conflict because they have people. They have conflict because they have people. They struggle with unity because they they have people. I remember years ago, for my my grandmother's at my grandmother's funeral, my uncle Bob and I were sitting down together and we were talking. Uncle Bob's been a pastor for I don't know, he's in his eighties now, but for a long time, okay, pastoral ministry. And he had this. He was telling me about this conversation with this woman. This woman was talking with him about all the problems they had in their their church. And finally, my uncle Bob asked her. He said, "How many people go to your church?" And she said, "Oh, I don't know, about two hundred." And he says, well, that's how many problems you have. <laughs> it's true. It's true. See, we have problems because we're people. You know, I, what I will tell you about our church, I'm not a perfect pastor. This isn't a perfect church, but we serve a perfect Savior. And wherever you go, there's going to be problems there sometimes with things like unity. So what we want to do today is we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. At verses 12 through 18, and we're going to talk about how do you continue to build on the unity that Paul's been talking about when you're working through Philippians 2. How is it that we, what is it that we're supposed to do? How do we go about working on the unity he's been talking about? 
about being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. How do we do that? How do we live out the example that Jesus has given us in Philippians 2, where he lays aside all of his rights as God, empties himself of all of that, takes on our human form, so that... uh, Becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that God highly exalts him. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, the Bible says this. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed... By the way, I'm reading from the NIV today. Normally, I've, I've been reading from the New American Standard. Quite frankly, I love studying the Scriptures in the New American Standard Bible. Sometimes the NIV is a little bit more readable. Uh, that's why I sometimes go back and forth. But I'm reading today from the NIV. And in, in, uh, if, if Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, says this. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So how do we go about building unity in in? in living out what it means to follow Jesus, becoming more like him. A couple things I want to share with you, and a couple of thoughts. And the first thought is simply this, is is that God wants us to work out our salvation with a spirit of humble worship and all before God. That what God wants us to do is he, he wants us to work out our salvation with a spirit of humble worship and all before him. What the Bible says in, in, in Philippians chapter 2.12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, he commends them for how they've been obedient to Christ. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, not only when I was with you, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Interesting words. Work out your salvation. Uh, a lot of times when we talk about, about salvation, the way uh, guys like me, Bible teachers, the way we like to talk about it is we like to talk about, about salvation in the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense. Okay? And if you've gone to this church for a while, you've heard me talk about this before. The, the past tense of salvation is, is what we call justification. That I have been saved from the penalty of, of sin. I've been saved from the penalty of sin. That is something that is done and completed. It's a completed work of Jesus that he completed on the cross. And that work was completed for me 
when I put my hope and my confidence and my trust in Jesus. You see, all of us, we've, all of us have sinned. All of us need to be forgiven. All of us need God's grace. All of us need God's mercy. And when you put your hope and your trust, not in your good works, but in the good work of Jesus, God saves you from the penalty of sin. And you know what? Nobody can change that. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. And nobody can unfinish the work of Jesus. And so justification, salvation, that, 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 that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. But we're also being saved, present tense, from the power of sin. The power of sin. The, 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 the power that sin tends to have in our daily lives. Any of you ever struggle with being, you know, selfish or self-centered? Jealous, envious, yeah? You, you ever, you ever, yeah, me neither, no. Um, you know, all of us, all of us, all of us at times, we struggle, we struggle with, with sin in our lives. And in, in, in that ongoing struggle of us beginning to see deliverance from the power of sin in our lives. Did you know you can be delivered from the power of sin? That that, that deliverance is not something that happens instantaneously. You can't microwave it. I wish I could. But that ongoing experience is what the Bible calls sanctification. It's that that process of becoming more and more like Jesus uh, day by day. More like Jesus in our thinking. More like Jesus in our affections. More like Jesus in our attitudes. More like Jesus in our actions. And finally, there's the the future sense of salvation. that, That we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. And we will be saved from the presence of sin. Glorification. That, that's that time when, when God will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. That, that death uh, and, and Satan will be cast into the lake of fire forever. And you know what? All those things that we have a tendency to struggle with in our daily experience, we're not going to struggle anymore. We won't need a microwave. It'll be done. Well, when Paul talks about he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's talking about the, that, that sanctification process, the experiencing more and more freedom from the power of sin in our daily lives. And what Paul says here is he says, work out your salvation with what? With fear and trembling. Interesting words. Interesting words. Uh, the, the, what we're talking about here is we're not talking about the, the kind of fear that, we're not talking about this kind of a dread and a terror that the ancient pagans felt in relationship with their gods. If you've ever read about some of the pagan religions of ancient Rome and ancient Greece, you know, their, their gods were, they were despotic, they were temperamental, they were, if they had a bad day and a bad mood, you know, they might turn you into a donkey or something, you know? I mean, I mean, they just, they, they were just, you know, they were, uh, and, and so they experienced a kind of terror. Well, that's not what the Bible's talking about here. The concept of the fear of the Lord, it, 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 it goes from, uh, it's, it continues all the way through the Scriptures, the Old and New Testaments. Some people like to think it's just an Old Testament uh, um, teaching, and that simply isn't true. Uh, yeah, it's taught there. The Bible says the beginning of a wisdom is, is the fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, and, and the kind of fear we're, we're talking about here, it's the kind of, I, I, you know, to be honest with you, I, I've read a, a few articles on this. I've read a, a few books and stuff. But nobody says it better than a guy named Robert 
uh, Strimple. Robert Strimple used to be the uh, president of Westminster Seminary down in Southern California. And what Robert Strimple talked, called, when he talks about the sphere of God, he talks about it being a rich convergence of all. A rich convergence of all in the presence of the eternal God, the, the creator of the universe, the holy lawgiver, the righteous judge, and the merciful savior. It is a consciousness of being in his presence every moment. And then he goes on to say this. He says, there is a convergence of all, this fear of the Lord. There is a convergence of all reverence, adoration, honor, worship, confidence, thankfulness, love, and yes, fear. Now, people, that is something that we in the church in North America today, we need to become a lot more familiar with this. We do. This is the kind of fear of the Lord that makes true worship possible. Uh, sometimes if we're not careful, worship becomes a service that we consume. We, we, you, you, actually, you know what? Our culture is a lot better at making disciples than we are. Because our culture trains us to be consumers of religious services and spiritual experiences instead of worshipers of a holy God. And folks... Real worship begins not when you have a fantastic band or fog machines. Fantastic worship begins when you, you know something of this holy, healthy fear of God. That's where true worship begins. Um, I think I lost my place. Uh, I, what I was saying is that, that, that how do we cultivate the kind of humility, unity that God wants to characterize our church and every church? Number one, God wants us to work out our salvation with a spirit of humble worship and all before God. Number two, God wants us to work out our salvation without grumbling and arguing. God wants us, folks, grumbling and arguing has been characteristic of every church that's ever been. Did you know that? Because it's characteristic of the human heart. When something isn't going the way I want it to go, the natural tendency, human tendency, is to grumble and complain about it. As if somehow that's going to change things for, change things for the better. That we grumble and we complain. Very interesting. The Bible says here, it says in verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Really, really interesting. Really interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. The, the, the terms, the words that Paul uses in these phrases, uh, almost all of them come from the Old Testament. Almost all of them come from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It's, it's, it's really interesting when you read what, what Paul is doing is he's, he's talking to the Philippians and he's talking to them as if they are a new Israel who are part of a new exodus that's coming, that have been, del- the, the, the first Israel was delivered from bondage to Egypt. But he's talking to a new Israel who's been delivered from bondage to sin. They've been delivered from bondage to sin. And he says, don't be like that old generation. Uh, don't be like that warped and crooked generation. Deuteronomy 32.5. This is a reference from, from the Greek Septuagint. And, and, and he says, that, you know, I don't want you to be like that warped and crooked generation that's talked about in Deuteronomy 32.5. 
They were, they were, it says that they were warped and crooked because they were unbelieving. They refused to believe God. They refused to go into the land that God promised to give them. They were a grumbling and complaining people. When you read through the book of Exodus, when you read through the book of, of Numbers, just go through and, and count the times. It uses the word, words like grumbling, complaining. Just go through in every kind of word that's like that. In fact, in, in just if you just look at Exodus chapter 16, in the first 11 times, you know how many times it uses the word grumble? Seven. Seven different times. It talks about how they grumbled and they complained against Moses, against Aaron, and against God. Now, the thing is, is just a couple chapters before, before this, God does all of these wonders and signs and brings them out of Egypt. And they're complaining and saying, you know, it was so much better for us when we were back in Egypt. Go through read it. I just encourage you, go back and read Exodus chapter 16. They're grumbling and complaining, weren't our pots filled with meat? And they're talking about how good it was. The good old days. The good old days. Um, that what God wants for us is something very different. You know, it's very, very easy to grumble and complain about how long the pastor's sermons are. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> It, you know, seriously, it, it's easy to grumble and complain because it's just it, it, a lot of times our grumbling and complaining, it says nothing about the person we're grumbling and complaining against. It says a lot more about what's filling our hearts and our minds. Do you, do you follow this? So we need to work out our salvation. We need to do it with, with this holy, reverential awe for God. And we also need to work out our salvation without grumbling and arguing. Number three, God wants us to work out our salvation by being a shining example, holding firmly to the word of life. Again, you know, in beginning in verse 14, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So what God wants us to be is instead of grumblers and complainers, he wants us to be a shining example of what it looks like uh, to follow Jesus. He wants us to be a shining example of what it looks like to hold firmly to the word of life. And then fourthly, uh, the question that we're addressing is how do we cultivate the kind of humility and unity that God wants to characterize our church and every church? Number four, God wants us to work out our salvation with rejoicing, with rejoicing. Even if our lives are poured out like a sacrifice of worship and serving others. Where do I see that in the text? In verses 17 and 18, I just want to remind you, where's Paul at when he's writing these words? He's in prison in Rome, right? If anybody had a reason to gripe and complain, okay, I mean, Paul would have a right to that, wouldn't you say? But this is what Paul says, verse 17 and 18. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, even if I, even if I die, even, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. It's all right. I'm good with that. 
I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. You know, the, the drink offering, it was, a, it was a, well, it was common in the, the Old Testament. It was common uh, with, with the ancient Jews is that, that one of the ways that they would sacrifice to God is sometimes they would pour out uh, a, 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 an offering of wine, okay? Uh, the, the, the Greeks and the Romans did as well in their pagan religions. But what he is doing is he's saying, hey, you know what? Even if I am being poured out like, a, like an offering, just empty out, um, I am uh, glad and I rejoice. And I want you to rejoice and be glad with me. And, you know, it, we see in that an example, not just something that, that, that was true of Paul, but something that God wants to be true of every single person is that he wants us to be people who can rejoice and be glad. When we are pouring ourselves out, loving and serving people, getting people to give blood, giving blood ourselves, when we are washing cars out here for free, whether it's five or 500, I'm glad it was closer to five than 500. Uh, But even when we're out uh, taking uh, baked goods and, and giving it to first responders, even when we are serving children in our community at the leaven, children from some of the most challenging neighborhoods in our community, teaching them to do things like how to read, having fun with them, playing games, uh, singing together with them. Even when one of them says, I don't want to sing anymore or whatever it was. I can't remember what it was. But, but you know, doing things with, with those kids or, or serving at the Fisher House or, or with the Dignity Box, collecting, uh, you know, uh, feminine hygiene products for women who don't have money to buy them for themselves. Um, you know, that's what brings honor and glory to God, and that's what real worship looks like. It looks like pouring yourself out for the service of another person's faith. And that's what so many of you did this week. Uh, that's what brings me joy as a pastor. You know, no church is ever without conflict, but healthy churches find healthy ways to work through conflict. Healthy churches pursue humility and unity. They seek to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, without griping and complaining, so that they become a shining example to a broken world, holding firmly to the word of life while joyfully and sacrificially serving others with worshiping hearts. Let's pray. God, what we want to do is we want to be a humble people who truly uh, loves you and delights in you. We want, we want to be a people that, we want to be a people who worship you with, with fear and trembling, that healthy, holy awe. And God, we want to be a people who are working in our salvation. Uh, with fear and trembling. We want to be a people who are working out our salvation without, without griping and complaining and grumbling. We, God, we want to be a people who, that, that we live as a shining example of what it looks like to follow you in our world, holding firmly to the word of life. Oh, Lord, we want to be a people that, that, that we rejoice, we rejoice, uh, even if our lives are being poured out as a sacrifice in the serving of other people's faith. That's what we want for ourselves, God. And we want you to be honored and glorified in all that we do.
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.